The supreme value of righteousness is what we're looking at for the next little while. The supreme value of righteousness. We go through the book of Proverbs. And we've looked at all sorts of subjects, all sorts of studies. And so you've got your Bible there on your night table. You've probably got another one in the family room. You've got several that are collecting dust somewhere in the top shelf of a closet. We've got... Proverbs everywhere. And it's very easy because so much time has lapsed between the life reign of Solomon and the writing of these Proverbs. It's very easy for us to forget the people used to flock to hear Solomon. We know from the scriptures. People used to flock to come and hear Solomon. Anything that fell from his wise lips... They used to come the way people might gather to, to hear Oprah Winfrey somewhere speak. The Bible says world leaders, kings and queens, crossed the globe just to have a chance to listen to Solomon talk. 1 Kings 4.34 And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. Think about it. This wasn't a day when you could hop on a 747 and cross the world in six hours. What you and I can read from the book of Proverbs, lying on a couch on a rainy Saturday afternoon, people used to risk life and limb, spend half a year's pay crossing the seas just to have a few hours listening to Solomon. One of the things they came to hear Solomon talk about was righteousness. And the reason they came and the reason they listened and the reason they would come back was they knew Solomon told them the truth when he spoke about the rewards of righteousness right in this present age. I don't mean when we die and go to heaven. Right in this present age. Proverbs 11.31 the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more are the wicked and the sinner? So the idea there is both righteousness and wickedness pay dividends to their investors. Solomon taught that it was a terrible mistake to think of righteousness just as a spiritual commodity, something otherworldly, a nonprofit. And that's why people, kings, rulers, leaders, flocked to Solomon. They came hungry for gain, for benefit, for something good. And they came the way people might gather around the Toronto Stock Exchange or a Blue Jays race for the World Series. And one of the things Solomon taught about was the practical blessing that can flow into a righteous life. People don't think of that way of that kind of life anymore. They think of righteousness and the first thing they think of is restrictions. Righteous people are righteous because they, they don't do this, 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 this. And these, according to every commercial I see on television, these are the fun things. According to every sitcom, every soap opera, every movie, these are the nice things. These are the things that put excitement into you. Oh, righteousness, I get it. You can't do any of that.
Point number one. Righteousness is a path. Here's what Solomon taught about righteousness. Here's what people flocked to hear. Righteousness is a path, and the benefit of righteousness comes as a growing fruit or growing light to those who consistently walk in it. In other words, the the benefits, the fruit of righteousness doesn't explode and overwhelm the life quickly or suddenly or explosively. This is why people aren't all that interested in righteousness. You always have to trust your way into the path of righteousness. Righteousness always requires a certain amount of of patience, a a long view This is because the rewards of everyday righteousness are found more at the end of the path than at the very beginning. And Solomon underlined that truth. When people came to listen to him, he was very clear in the way he taught about this. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19, you probably know at least part of this verse. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the, that's the part people usually know. The way of the wicked, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Here's another verse. I'm going to talk about that one in a minute. But here's Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, 18 and 19. The wicked earns deceptive wages. But one who sows righteousness, that's the topic here. One who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness. So, so again, there's that idea of patience. A long look, waiting. You have, to, you have to stick with it. It's like planting a seed. You can't plant the seed, go out the next day, dig it up and see if you've got tomatoes won't work. It's a longer process than that. But for the person who's steadfast in righteousness, that person will live. He'll find life. He'll find a dynamic to it that you don't get quickly, you don't get all of a sudden, but it unfolds. But he who pursues evil will, will die. Now, everybody's going to die. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean death comes. It, it, means, it, means, it means even while he lives, he starts to shrivel up and die. So you notice that Solomon really can't even teach about righteousness without contrasting it to something. And the best thing to contrast righteousness with is wickedness. That's because some things are best explained by their opposite. Here's the lesson. Righteousness takes more patience than wickedness. Wickedness pays up front, but what it pays isn't real, and the thrill diminishes quickly, and the sin has to increase just to hold a level of excitement at a certain point. And so it just gets worse and worse and worse. Greater effort for diminishing satisfaction. 
That's, that's wickedness. Greater effort for diminishing satisfaction. Righteousness takes more patience. And that's probably the reason why many people consistently choose wickedness over righteousness. The way of righteousness is described in that Proverbs 4 passage. It's, it's like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So, so righteousness is like a growing light. It, it, it's benefits come into a life the way the sun comes over the horizon. Beautiful thing in the summer, when you get, particularly in the summer when you get up early and the sky gets red and there's that mist and it's not cold and at first the sky is just pink, right? And everything's got that nice rosy colored glow to it. And then it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. But it isn't like flipping on a light switch. And so Solomon would pick an example like that that everybody could see in nature all around them. And he'd say, righteousness is like that. You don't see its benefits all at once. It starts small and it grows brighter and brighter. This is the chief reason that only wise, patient people can grow in righteousness. Fools can't wait. The devil always does his best work in impatient Hearts. Remember that. The devil always does his best work in impatient hearts. So this is a lesson for, you want life. This is a lesson for life seekers. The pleasures of righteousness grow. The pleasures of wickedness diminish. Righteousness pays enormous interest. Wickedness, whatever it promises, will leave you broke in the end. I don't mean financially broke. I mean, I mean life broke. I mean emptiness. But even though the pursuit of wickedness is empty, it is still enticing. And that's because wickedness doesn't demand any honesty. Wickedness doesn't demand any humility. Wickedness always feeds Pride. That's what Solomon meant in 419 when he said the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The stumbling, the darkness that that person lives in, he's never going to take correction. He's never going to receive wisdom. They do not know over what they stumble. So it will, it will be blamed Here's, here's what's wrong with my life, and, and they'll find other people to blame. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my parents. It's the way I was raised. It's the upbringing I had. There will be somebody to blame for that stumbling. Blame God. Blame life. It's unfair. It's just organized against me. This is why wickedness is always linked with darkness. The way of the wicked, 419, is like Deep darkness. There's no honesty. There's no correction. There's no remedy in the pursuit of wickedness. So 
Solomon follows that up in that second passage we read in Proverbs 11, where he talks about the deceptive wages of wickedness. The wicked earns deceptive wages. Proverbs 11:18. So, so serving sin in any form, deceptive wages. We know, I mean, Paul grabs onto that image. The wages of sin is death. But Paul doesn't unfold this idea that Solomon does, that it's, these are deceptive wages. Serving any kind of sin, it's like working for someone thinking you're getting 40 bucks an hour only to find out you end up with minimum wage. Deceptive wages. So that's the whole point of Proverbs eleven eighteen. Only those who are steadfast in righteousness, that's the quote. Only those people get their, get their we would say, get their money's worth in life. So before anything else, wickedness is the ultimate form of cheating one's self. It doesn't feel like it. Wickedness piles up promises on the front end, delivers nothing on the back end. Righteousness grows gradually brighter, brighter, surer, surer, more steadfast, and the life ends up full and rich with no regrets. Okay, point number two. Solomon teaches, here's another thing that people would flock to Solomon to hear him teach about. Solomon teaches that only righteousness can establish a life against inevitable trials and storms. Every once in a while, someone will come into my office and talk to me. They'll be a teenager and they'll be talking about the trials and difficulties of life. And I can remember, I know you don't believe this, I can remember being a teenager. And I can remember when I was a teenager that those things felt like life's biggest problems. And as you sit and listen, you can't help but smile and, and you don't want to frighten them, but you want to say, oh, you know what, I know you think you've gone through trials. Just wait. Just wait. The inevitable trials and storms, and and if anything could be pressed into young lives especially, it's this. Only righteousness establishes your life for trials and storms that you can't avoid. They will come. I'm thinking of Proverbs 10. You got two verses there, 25 and 30. Proverbs 10, 25. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more. He's just gone. But the righteous is established forever. Verse 30. The righteous will never be removed. But the wicked will not dwell in the land. And when Solomon spoke and talked to God's covenant people about not dwelling in the land, they would all know exactly that image, what he was talking about. Every Jew knew what Solomon meant when he talked about dwelling in the land. The land represented everything about God's Promise Everything good about God that he wanted to give his people. The land was their future, their security, their heritage promised by the Lord. And the lesson there is this. We don't, we don't have that covenant anymore. It is a striking... I'm not going to argue about Bible prophecy tonight. That's not the, the subject. But it is a striking fact that outside of the book of Revelation, 
that talks about the new Jerusalem, come, and it's not talking about the one in the Holy Land. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Outside of that one reference, the land is never mentioned again in the New Testament. Have you ever noticed that when you read your Bible? It's not talked about once. But the picture there for us is this. When Solomon spoke to the Jews about the land and dwelling in the land, and he'd say, righteousness. Righteousness is what sustains you. Wickedness, will, the wicked won't dwell in the land. The picture for us is this. Righteousness prepares the way for everything rich that God wants to put into your life. What the land represented to the Jews. Just, just the fulfillment of God's good pleasure. Righteousness prepares the way for everything good you will ever receive from God's hand. And the wicked, the wicked will never know fulfillment. They will never have that sense of arrival, the land, destination, completeness, fulfillment. Wickedness promises fulfillment, but it leaves you just wandering. Wandering with nowhere to go. No home, no land, no fulfillment, no promise. And so the lesson here is, Life can't be secured apart from righteousness. Your friends can't fill your heart long term. Money won't endure even a shaky economy, let alone by a character that is pleasing to God. I talked to my class this morning in Christian Ed, and I think I might have surprised some of them, and I said, you do we believe God is sovereign over absolutely everything? How many would say he is? Let me see your hand. And I shared with them one of the reasons God allows, nay, causes times of serious economic depression is so people like us will learn that we cannot on our own secure our future with our money. Because if, if everything just went up and up and up and up, we would actually come to believe that we could take care of ourselves. But when you go to bed Wednesday and you wake up Thursday morning and everything you had in your mutual funds and RRSPs is 60% less than when you went to bed that night, suddenly you go, oh, I guess this isn't as secure as I thought. Maybe we do need to trust in the Lord. Three. By the way, when, when, when Solomon, you know, he, he gives those words about um, when the tempest passes, 1025. So I'm still back on the previous point now, sorry. When, when the tempest passes and the wicked will be uh, no more, but righteousness is established forever... Do these words from Jesus, do you think he was thinking about that proverb when he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and the rain fell. The floods came. The wind blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It's exactly the same idea. Righteousness, knowing the words of Jesus and obeying them in your life. When the storm comes, the house will stand. Okay, now point number three. Only righteousness can shelter a life in the face of death. So Proverbs links up righteousness frequently, most frequently and surprisingly, most frequently with blessings right here in this life on earth. But it does also talk about righteousness and its effect on the life in the face of death. 1228 of Proverbs, in the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Strange words. And at first glance, it seems, it seems to fly right in the face of the same writer, Solomon. Here's what he said in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices, to him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner. He who swears as he who shuns an oath. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent. No favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Everybody dies. Same guy. Which is it? Well, Solomon is right in both texts. We all know we face the same fate on this earth. Doesn't matter uh, whether you're Billy Graham or Adolf Hitler. You die. The death rate is the same everywhere, one per person. No amount of wisdom, wealth, strength, no moral goodness can prevent the inevitable end of death. The important thing to remember is Solomon is writing in Ecclesiastes. He's talking about what I saw under the sun. It's in verse 11. When you look at this earth, on the earthly side of things, it's the same for everybody. Everybody dies. But that's only the appearance on the earthly side of things. It's equally true when Proverbs says in 1228... The verse I read, in the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. People do fear death, don't they? They fear death. You, you just, you just, we're coming out of it now, but boy, everybody, when you heard Ebola on the news, everybody sat up and paid attention. And borders were careful, and airlines were careful. And what's the answer to that fear? What can keep a life on the pathway where there is no death? Righteousness. Righteousness. Proverbs 14, 32. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge, refuge in his death. That'll be beautifully unfolded 
in New Testament revelation. Jesus comes to undo and destroy the one who has kept us in bondage to the fear of death, the writer of Hebrews says. I, uh, I remember, what time is it? We're okay, we're good. I remember, um, I guess about seven years ago now, the day my dad died. And I remember my mom phoning me and saying, um, dad's been taken to the hospital. He'd had a heart attack. Long and short, I, I went down at night and saw dad. I didn't think that was the last time I was going to see him. I mean, it turned out that way, but I didn't know that at the time. So Rini and I went down and I went in to see him in the hospital and, and uh, he didn't look all that bad. A little pale, which for my dad, those of you who knew him, pale is unusual for, for my dad. And he was lying there and uh, making chit-chat. He had a few of his remarks that he always makes. And, and uh, before I left, because I didn't know that I wouldn't be able to come down and see him the next morning. For all I knew, I could. Didn't work out that way. And so we talked for a little while, and... Uh, and I asked him how he was feeling. He said, not too bad. He says, a little in here. He says, it's not the same. I can tell there's something wrong in my heart. And uh, we, we chatted a bit, prayed. And before I left, he took my hand. And he, and he looked right at me and he said, I need you. To, he said, I don't remember whether it's I need you to know or I want you to know. But this is close to an exact quote. And I need you to know I'm not worried about this. And whenever I think of that, I think of that idea, the righteous finds refuge in his death. I'm not worried about this. Only righteousness can do that. Righteousness now interpreted in the New Testament, trust in Christ. Okay, point number four. Righteousness brings greater contentment and peace into the life than anything else on earth. Proverbs 16.8 says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. These words are stamped over and over on our minds in the book of Proverbs, repeated a bit in the New Testament where godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's repeated over and over because we are so naturally inclined to underestimate the blessing and benefit of just a quiet, clean conscience without righteousness. The idea isn't that money is is bad in itself, but the idea is without righteousness, nothing else will be deeply satisfying to you. So the pursuit of righteousness is the best way to be true to our deepest self-interest. It's important to remind ourselves that these words came from Solomon. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. It's one thing, you know, for somebody who has absolutely nothing to kind of sputter about how, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Don't trust in riches. Like, all I, all I would like is the chance to prove money can't buy happiness. That's the way most of us feel. 
But this is Solomon. Solomon at this point, as he writes these words, is one of the richest men on the planet. So we need to listen to him when he says, let me tell you from someone who's, who's there that all the money in the world can't bring into your heart what righteousness and a clean conscience and a pure heart can bring you. And, and all of the wealth in the world isn't enough to make up for a life that isn't free from wickedness, that can't pursue its own best interests in righteousness. When Solomon says it, it's worth, it's worth listening to. It's worth listening to. Five. This is the last one. No, it's not. There's six. One of the chief ways righteousness can grow, even in imperfect people. Let's just see how this is. If this is so valuable, so important, what does Solomon say about so the pursuit of righteousness? How does this happen? There's good news here. There is no uh, special righteousness gene. You don't have to have a higher IQ. You don't have to come from a great home and a good background. Blessings, to be sure. But there is something that's absolutely essential if you want this path of righteousness that gets brighter and brighter and unfolds with greater blessings and greater contentment. There is something you need. Proverbs 9, 7 to 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. So they're not, they're not going to listen. They will turn on you like a cornered dog. Do not reprove a scoffer. He'll hate you. He just There's no point. Reprove a wise man... And he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. We should all rejoice, I think, that one does not have to be brilliant to reap these rich blessings of righteousness. But you do have to be humble you do have to be attentive. Brilliance is actually easier to come by than humility. This is what makes the pursuit of righteousness costly and a bit rare. Everyone admires righteousness, but that's not the same thing as pursuing righteousness. Now we course, as believers, and this is the first time I'm touching on this, but it's the background of everything. As New Testament Christians, we recognize we are all made righteous. Praise God. We are made righteous through the atoning death of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. It's called imputed righteousness. Paul says, I don't want to stand before him having a righteousness of my own, but one that comes through Christ... And so you don't learn that righteousness and you don't earn that righteousness. It just is pronounced and given as a gift. But that's not the kind of righteousness of character that's being described by Solomon. What Solomon is is describing in the Old Testament would compare more to 
the way Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in the New Testament. It's not something you get from Jesus in salvation. It's something that is grown in Christ-like character. It's sanctifying righteousness, life righteousness, righteous lifestyle. It's the outworking of the inward righteousness of Christ. And it's anything but easy. It's extremely costly. And the first thing it costs, of course, is pride. And so Solomon says, you you can grow in it. It can increase. He says it comes from teaching and it comes from instruction. People who want to grow in righteousness aren't perfect, but here's what they do. They respond well to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. People who grow in righteousness aren't brilliant, they aren't perfect, but they respond well to the voice of the Holy Spirit, conscience, and the teaching of the Scriptures, the Word of God. So mistakes don't disqualify you from becoming righteous. Rejecting correction is what keeps you and me from being more righteousness. Wickedness is treatable for the repentant. They can grow in righteousness. Last point. Remember the roots of righteousness. So we're talking about righteous character. And when we think of righteous character, we think of actions. We think of deeds. It's proper as far as it goes. But the actual roots for those righteous deeds, the actual roots are buried deeper and more invisibly. Thoughts. Thoughts are your deeds uh, in incubation. Before they come out, that's where they live. And so Solomon has some closing words for us. Proverbs 12.5 The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. That, That means there's a fundamental purity and honesty inside the head of a righteous person and there's a fundamental deceptiveness inside the head of a wicked person. And so a wicked person sitting here tonight, you won't see him as being an axe murderer. The wicked person here tonight will hear all of this and, and he will say, but that's, thank you, Pastor Don. You know, we pay you to do these little studies. Thank you for your teaching. But I'm as good as anybody else in the room. See, deception is playing. That's what's playing up there, deception. The deception that that's enough to be as good as anybody else in the room. The deception that I don't have to worry if the Holy Spirit should want to speak to me and I'm a pastor or a board member or an usher or a choir member. So the counsels of the wicked, the, the inward advice coming to the wicked, it, it's... it's Cagey, shifty, deceptive. The the righteous, it's all just. It's all pure. So here's my advice. 
You can judge others by their actions, Jesus said, their fruits. By their fruits, you'll know them. Nothing wrong with that. If you're telling me you're following Jesus and you tell me you're sleeping with your neighbor's wife, I'm not judging you when I say you're a hypocrite and you're a sinner. That's not judging. At least it's not unrighteous judging. It's exactly what Jesus would say. Don't let anybody sort of fire back, oh, don't judge. It's not what those verses are about. So we can judge others by their actions. But when I'm looking at my own life, I shouldn't be that generous. When I'm assessing my own life before the Lord, the first thing I should look at is my thoughts. I can't judge your thoughts. I judge your actions. You judge my actions. But when we're looking at ourselves, we should look at our thoughts. What excites us? What delights us? What motivates us? What do we hold against people in our own minds, hearts? What gets into the mind? That's going to determine down the road how far you're going to progress on this path of outward righteousness. How bright that sun is going to get to shine in your life. And security in your mind, security is more urgent here than at any airport in the country. Security up here is more urgent than any border crossing. Carelessness is more fatal. TV, internet, music, movies, unguarded influence of worldly friends, all these are the silent, gradual destroyers of the seeds of righteousness in my heart. So we desperately need to be all constantly re-educated with Paul's words. Philippians 4, 7, 8, 9. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is it automatic? Does it just happen? Well, no. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Wouldn't it be great if every time you went to Silver City, the first thing that came up on the screen were these words, what you have learned and heard and received and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And everybody was forced to say, gee, I wonder, how does this fit in with what's good and lovely and praiseworthy and good report? The path of the just, the righteous, it's like this shining light. It grows more and more as you follow Jesus. Let's pray together.